It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Wilson going to the air. Chased out by Daquan Jones. Wilson looking in zone, wide open, touchdown! First NFL touchdown for Zach Wilson! And it goes to Corey Davis. Crowder trying to get him out of space, slopes a tackle, and there he goes! Crowder! It's a foot race, and Crowder is in there! A 69-yard touchdown. He'll hit immediately. He got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh! Listen. Thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studio. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And it is time to talk keys to the game. Jets versus Houston Texans edition. And so for that, we bring in our friend who does the film over on the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel, The Thunder from Down Under, Mr. Luke Grant. Luke, what's up, brother? I'm going pretty well. To me, the Jets won on Sunday. They uh, they had a good outcome. The rookies played well. Some of the young guys like Bryce Hall really stood up. They didn't ruin their draft pick while Zach Wilson was out. I think it was a win, so I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Luke, first key to this game, and we're going to do keys to the game slash film because as Luke explains why he thinks something is a key to the game, I'm sure he's going to mention things that he saw on film. And the first guy in that regard is Elijah Moore. Absolutely a huge key to this game because we saw what he did against the Dolphins. He's now got five touchdowns in the last four games. He's red hot. And I know you took a look at the film because we've got a brand new video up on the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel that you put together with everything that Elijah Moore did on Sunday against the Miami Dolphins. So let's talk about this. Elijah Moore now going back to Zach Wilson. He had pretty good success with Mike White and Joe Flacco. Wilson comes in now with the potential to really cook with Elijah Moore. And we'll get to Wilson in a second. But first, Elijah Moore, talk about what you saw and why you think he's one of the biggest keys to this matchup against the Texans. It's interesting, Scott, because when you talk to people about Elijah Moore's slow start to the season and how well he's progressed, a lot of people are quick to point out that Zach Wilson was his quarterback when he's struggling, and obviously Zach's coming back this week, as you just prefaced. Look, I just want to say that I think his usage at the start of the year was completely wrong. Everything was deep routes. We didn't see those underneath touches like we saw on the orbit motion, but the increased usage of Elijah Moore and the improved usage is what's allowed him to break out. He's the same player. He's dynamic. We knew that as soon as he was drafted, but Sunday was just a showcase. I mean, man, there were so many ways in which he won and defeated a really good secondary Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. These are premier corners, the best in the business. And he just pulled them apart. Like the stat line, 156 total yards and a touchdown that didn't even do him justice. Joe Flacco missed another couple of touchdowns that would have been 50-plus, some of them because of blocking and not being able to get through progressions. But this kid was torching people at the line of scrimmage. That's where I want to start. A lot of younger players, we saw it with Denzel Mims last year, one of the things they struggle with the most is getting off the line of scrimmage, beating press, and defeating man coverage. Elijah Moore is so shifty. He used patience and change of pace with his different stutter steps and long legs and the things he threw at these experienced vet corners. And he just keep winning off the line of scrimmage. And that is how you beat man coverage in the NFL. It's that simple. Then after that, Scott, what stood out was even on intermediate routes, 
The reason he's winning in the middle of the field is because of the deep throw. These corners are so scared to not uh, to, to turn their hips and to square up shoulder to shoulder because they're worried about him burning them down the field for an 80-yard touchdown. So they're keeping their hips open. And then as soon as he does that, he closes the gate, he attacks their leverage, and these out routes and comebacks and things like that where he's catching the ball on the sideline, they're wide open because he's threatening them so well with his deep speed. It was a complete performance. We saw the short touches. There was a couple of times the Jets' new fullback had a 20-yard reception over the middle. A lot of people would watch that and think, oh, well done, good job. That was Elijah Moore. That was his gravitational pull. He did so many things well. He's playing at such an elite level, and that's not just for a rookie. Right now, over the last month of the season, he's playing as one of the best 5-10 to receivers in the NFL, and I'm not exaggerating. Luke, one of the other keys to this game is the guy who's going to be throwing the ball to Elijah Moore. And as you said... People will point out that Elijah Moore has had much greater success with Joe Flacco and Mike White than he did with Zach Wilson the first bunch of games, but perhaps things are different now. Elijah Moore has found his groove. Mike LaFleur apparently has found his groove, and Zach Wilson has had the benefit of sitting back and watching for four weeks, so maybe he's seen some things when he's watched film. Maybe the benefit of the time away has helped him a bit, maybe mellowed him out. Zach Wilson's play on Sunday against Houston is probably the biggest key to the game. Yeah, I think for Zach, the key for him personally is not trying to be too much like Mike White and Joe Flacco, but at the same time, understanding that he has to take more underneath. It's a balance because as a young player, you want to test what you can and can't get away with. I think we saw that in the first month of the season. But against New England, before he was hurt, you started to see him checking down quickly to start the game. You started to see faster progressions in his reads and taking what the defense gave him. I think we were kind of robbed of that period where we were going to see that improvement. So we're going to get it kind of on steroids now, and we're going to see even more enhanced improvement from Zach Wilson. I think he just needs to not press too much. The Houston Texans by no means have a great defense. Uh, there's going to be opportunities for him to take the deep shots, but it's understanding which is a high percentage deep shot as opposed to an unnecessary risk forcing the ball into coverage like we saw Mike White a couple of weeks ago and like we saw Zach Wilson do against New England in week two. So it's finding the balance for him. But I'm excited because, as you mentioned, Matt LaFleur, sorry, Mike LaFleur has done an incredible job since he's been in the booth. You put that with Elijah Moore and his level of play. Unfortunately, Michael Carter's out. But then you bring the excitement and the ceiling of Zach Wilson. This offense could legitimately be good. I know the passing stats have been inflated and they look terrible. People have been calling Jets the number nine passing offense in football because there's a random statistic that shows it. They haven't been that good. But I think that's the ceiling because Zach Wilson brings an element of playmaking outside of structure on top of everything else that Flacco and White brought. I can't wait to see this kid play because... I think, you know, honestly, this rookie class could be one of the best in the end in Jets history. And I know that sounds hyperbolic and a huge call, but we've seen leaps and bounds improvement from Michael Carter, Elijah Moore, Elijah Vera Tucker. You've already got a guy like Brandon Eccles playing pretty well on the other side. Zach Wilson's the final cog in this machine. If he starts to click, watch out for the Jets. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. Let's talk about something that's going to have to go Zach Wilson's way in order for him to have a chance at success, and that is the offensive line. Last week, the Miami Dolphins absolutely mauled Joe Flacco. He didn't get sacked as much as you would have expected, but he was under pressure 
all day long, handled it pretty well, and I think that's a big part of the reason why he started over Mike White. Robert Sala had said as much earlier in the week, saying that Joe Flacco, with his veteran experience, would be better suited to handle what the Dolphins were going to throw at him. I think he was absolutely right about that. So if the Jets allow anything like that to happen, Zach Wilson could get flustered or worse, could get hurt. They have absolutely got to stop the Houston Texans from getting to Wilson. A little bit of pressure is one thing, but if he has to face anything close to what Flacco did against the Dolphins, this is going to get ugly quick. Yeah, let me just say, I think the Jets coaching staff and Joe Flacco, they both made great choices. Flacco had a passer rating against the Blitz of something like 115, which is well above average in the NFL. How does that translate to the offensive line play? I think it was more on Flacco than the O-line play. I think the O-line actually struggled a little bit. thought George Fant was average, I would say. I thought LDT, who stepped in at right guard, replaced Greg Van Roden. He was terrible in pass coverage. I know PFF had him as like a 17 grade overall on that side of the ball, but there was seven pressures, seven total pressures from one position. It was just like watching Greg Van Roten play. He needs to do a considerably a considerable better job to give Zach Wilson a chance because, as we mentioned, Joe Flacco, quick decisions. That's why the Jets staff played him. You can't expect that out of Zach Wilson, even after sitting for a few weeks and seeing the offense from the sideline. He's still a rookie. He's still not going to pr- uh, process as quickly as a veteran quarterback, a Super Bowl winning veteran quarterback like Joe Flacco. So there's going to be a bit of an uh, introduction period for Zach Wilson again. So they need to be better. Elijah Vera Tucker probably hasn't had his best two weeks in pass protection either. So if you've got both guard spots playing a little below average, that's quite concerning. Obviously, you know my thoughts on McGovern. I think overall he's a below average center and been disappointing since being brought in here last offseason. But the interior is a concern. I will say uh, Morgan Moses, he just keeps playing better and better. I've been super impressed by him. I know I was lobbying for him the entire offseason. I think he's really started to show why. But yeah, those three interior spots are concerning to me. I'm worried about them and keeping Zach Wilson upright and Zach having to rush some decisions and that'll lead to some ugly interceptions. But let's hope that we can get past the Houston Texans and keep building some momentum. The Houston Texans have had more or less a non-existent rushing attack this year. But we said that about the Dolphins because Miles Gaskin was not very good, yet he found a way to be effective against the Jets. And I think the problem for the Jets has been screens and draws, screens and draws, screens and draws, screens and draws. We all know that that's what the other team's going to do to open up the bigger stuff down the field. The Jets know it, yet they still can't stop it. On paper, the Texans shouldn't be effective against the Jets. They don't have anybody that would inspire fear But based on what the Jets did this past week against the Dolphins, which you'll talk about, I'm sure you saw some things on film, and of course, really ever since the Patriots exposed it a couple of weeks ago, it's been a disaster. And so even though when you look at this on paper, you say, who could possibly do damage? Somehow, some way, you would think somebody's going to be able to do something, and the Jets are going to have to find a way to make sure that doesn't happen, even against this subpar group. Because if somebody is able to do something, it's going to present a lot of challenges for this defense that they haven't been able to rise to so far this season. Yeah, I think people probably raised their eyebrows when they heard yourself and me, Scott, last week talking about Miles Gaskin as a key to the game (laughs) for the Jets versus Dolphins. But you said it, 96 total yards, a touchdown, and... For the Jets' defensive line, it was the same issue. And I think it's more schematic than anything else. You're seeing these runs where they're running these inside draws or a trap kind of running play. 
And they're just allowing the Jets' defensive tackles to get north-south and penetrate, and then they're trapping them, they're wham-blocking them, and suddenly they're three yards in the backfield, the running back's got the football, and he's getting eight yards without being touched until he gets to the second level. In saying that, I actually think Quincy Williams did a really nice job of saving what could have been a couple of much greater runs. He played significantly better than Jared Davis, who only got one snap on Sunday. He rode the pine. Quincy had a ton of stops. I think it was 17 in total. So he kind of saved the day. But again, it's this penetration one-gap system. It's something I complained for a couple of years about with uh, the old scheme here and Greg Williams and how they were two-gapping too much and stunts. That was much more effective in the run game. And that's the downfall of this wide nine system, one gap, get up the field. We're seeing teams just absolutely torch the Jets. There's been no adjustments as we talked about on the show last week. As you mentioned, though, is this finally the week where they're just worse at us at something? Uh, is their running attack going to be worse than the Jets' uh, rushing defense? It's going to be interesting, but they've obviously released Philip Lindsay. They traded away uh, Ingram. So, look, I'm not sure if they can take advantage of it. Tyrod Taylor's a bit of a rushing threat. Maybe that'll be an issue for the Jets. It has been in years past. But I think if the Jets are ever going to win the battle in the trenches on the defensive line, it has to be this week. As far as offensive weapons, Luke, if we're keeping it real, the Texans have one guy that can do any damage, Brandon Cooks. That's it. Brandon Cooks is the only good offensive player on the Houston Texans. So logic would dictate that if you're Robert Sala and you're Jeff Ulbrich, you would say, let's double this guy or let's put Bryce Hall on him one-on-one, whatever you think is the best strategy, but let's do everything we can to stop Brandon Cooks because we don't believe anybody else on this team has the capability of beating us even as poorly as we've played on defense. Again, I'm saying this from the standpoint of Robert Sala and Jeff Ulbrich. From a keys-to-the-game standpoint, you have to believe that they're going to do that because it doesn't make sense to do anything else. So I'm not entirely sure how they go about trying to accomplish it. I know that when they went up against Stefan Diggs, they did that whole rotate side of the field thing instead of putting Bryce Hall on him or double covering him, and he just blew their doors off. I'm hoping that they learn the lesson from a couple of weeks ago against the Bills and they sell out to stop Brandon Cooks because, as I said, he's really the only guy on the Texans that can hurt them. Yeah, it would make sense. But what concerns me, and I mentioned on the show last week, was how are they going to adjust? Ulbrich has shown an inability, or really it's, it's a lack of want to change the way that the cover three scheme plays. He doesn't want to do anything more than rotate with the safety. He doesn't want to move Bryce Hall onto the right-hand side of the defensive formation. So I'm not sure. Look, Brandon Cooks isn't Stefan Diggs. Obviously, he's still a high-level player in the NFL. He has been for a number of teams. But will they change it? I don't think so. I honestly don't. And in saying that, Isaiah Dunn, the undrafted free agent, he really struggled in his first real snaps after Brandon Eccles went down. Uh, I thought Jason Pinnock, the sixth-round rookie, he struggled as well. He had a big hold on a Quinn and Williams sack that would have got him off the field. So, look, I don't think the Jets are going to do anything different. And they'll play man coverage on third down. But if they take Brandon Cooks on the right-hand side of the Jets' defensive formation, then, yeah, then you're going to probably have Isaiah Dunn or Jason Pinnock or one of those guys covering because Oldbrick and Sulla, they haven't wanted to get away from their Seattle kind of cover three scheme. 
they really haven't wanted to, uh, to to do anything to enhance the performance of Bryce Hall, who's been one of the Jets' best throughout the season. Once again, he had five targets on Sunday, four catches, 20 yards, no first downs, no touchdowns in the red zone. So they need to utilize his skill set better. He's shown a capability to play in man coverage against some of the better guys in the NFL. A guy like Robbie Anderson, who's fast downfield, we might have said that was a bad matchup to start the season. But he's got gone, you know, kind of grown in leaps and bounds. They need to do a better job utilizing him and building the scheme around him rather than just playing this static cover three. Luke, even though he's not going to be playing in this game because he's out two to three weeks, Michael Carter has really looked impressive the last few weeks. His past game against the Dolphins, he didn't do much out of the backfield. All of his damage was done running the ball, but that's not a bad thing because the Jets haven't had a guy that can consistently gain yards on the ground. Really, if we're being honest about it, since Chris Ivory in 2015, Michael Carter, as we've said, triple threat. Talk to me a little bit about what you saw on the tape because I've been more impressed with this kid every week. As I joked on the show with Chris Nimbley after the Dolphins game, I'm pretty sure that if an actual truck hit Michael Carter, Carter would still find a way to gain five yards. It's almost impossible to take him down at first contact. Just a joy to watch. It comes down to probably the three same things that I've talked about a lot on the show. But for Michael Carter, it's elusiveness, it's short area quickness, and it's vision. And they're the three things that make him so successful in all facets of the running back position. We saw it, as you said, primarily in the running game on Sunday. That's just how the game unfolded. He didn't have Mike White throwing the ball underneath to him a lot like we saw against Cincinnati Bengals. But it's his ability to beat that first tackle. Every single time he will beat the first tackle because of those three tools I just mentioned. And then he started to break off the big runs. That's the one thing that's been missing from Michael Carter's game. And look, primarily that's on the offensive line. But he had a great opportunity on Sunday on the left-hand side of the line early. Elijah Tucker, George Fant, they cleared the water. He went straight through that C gap on the outside. Sorry, that B gap. And it was great to see the explosiveness and the downfield threat and the long speed of Michael Carter because we haven't really seen it yet, but we know it's there. But it's the elusiveness and the tackle-breaking ability. According to PFF, number three in the NFL among running backs in forced missed tackles per carry. He's done a tremendous job. We know the other tools he has as far as being a pass blocker. Did a little bit of that. He's only averaging something like uh, half a pressure per game as a pass blocker. He's been elite as far as NFL caliber running backs, not just the rookie class. So Michael Carter's been spectacular. It's just so unfortunate that the week that we finally get Zach back is the week that we're without Michael Carter. In saying that, look, I'm going to be honest, I don't want to see him on the field because it means Michael Carter's not. Tevin Coleman's been pretty damn good when he's been on the football field. <laughs> he's got more bursts than we saw in um, San Francisco last year when he was obviously banged up. I thought he's looked pretty good. So while it's deflating and disappointing because you want to see a young rookie who's on pace to possibly break the Jets' uh, rookie scrimmage, yard from scrimmage record, look, Tevin Coleman can do a job for a week or two. Uh, it's good that it's only a low ankle sprain and it's only mild. So he's going to be back on the field soon. Coleman will do a good job. Ty Johnson on third down still. But the Jets are going to miss Michael Carter and I'm going to miss watching him too. Luke, any other keys to the game that you think we missed or any other film observations that you want to share? I just think Quinn and Williams was spectacular, Scott. Uh, I want to say he was the best player on the field. Uh, I think PFF had him as the third highest rated Jet, but Quinn and Williams is still not playing enough snaps. He played 61% against Miami on Sunday, and in 61% of snaps, he had five total pressures, 
four times he got the Jets off the field on third down with pressures, had the sack that I mentioned before that was wiped away by Jason Pinner cold. But Quinn and Williams is the lone hand right now on the defensive line. There's some rumors out there that Bryce Huffy is going to be back off IR this week. We'll see how that unfolds. But Quinnen just continues to be double teamed and he continues to win. Like I said with Elijah Moore, it's winning in a variety of ways. We know that he can beat people kind of east-west with his lateral quickness for a 300-pound athlete. He's got great hands. We saw that at Bama. But then he just flat-out pancaked uh, the Miami Dolphins left guard a couple of times on Sunday, just left him on the ground, and he did a great job being disruptive. The Jets just, they need to get away from this rotation. You can't have Nathan Shepard on the field 40 to 45% of snaps. He's been one of the worst defensive tackles in the NFL so far this year. Quinn and Williams, on the other hand, number three in pass rate uh, win percentage by ESPN. He's done a great job for interior tackles. Get him on the field more and let this guy shine because he's a superstar. The Jets, again, just aren't utilizing him correctly. Luke Grant, the Thunder from Down Under. Thanks so much for coming on and talking keys to the game and film with me. As always, really appreciate it. For those that haven't been checking out the videos that you've been putting up on the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel, what are you waiting for? Check them out. They're awesome. And subscribe to the channel as well. Luke, tell everybody what they're missing out on if they're not checking out the videos. And also, what we've got in the Play Like a Jet store. You know the artist who's done the artwork for our shirts very well, so you can speak pretty intelligently to what we've got at tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. Yeah, Alex, my partner, she's done a great job with some of the designs over on Public and our Play Like a Jet store. Um, it's awesome to see some of them just come to life as we're chatting about the concepts and then what she does with them are awesome. The Zach Wilson go long range, the Zach the Ripper shirts. Uh, you've obviously got the Play Like a Jet logo. Speaking of Quinn and Williams in the film review just then and the keys to the game, we've got a Quinn and Williams, John Franklin Myers shirt uh, with the bless you, thank you range. They're just awesome. There's going to be more stuff in the pipeline. I know people get a bit stagnant at this point of the season with Jets content, but it's great to see these kind of merch and creating something a little bit different that you don't see on the team store. So Alex has done an awesome job. She's underscore can I be frank uh, on Instagram. And then across on the, the Play Like a Jet YouTube it's just picking up momentum again. As you mentioned at the top of the show, a new video up on Elijah Moore talking about all the ways he won, showing all 22 film as always. I break it down, try and keep doing that seven to 10 minute range so you can digest it, get on with your day. So we'd really appreciate you heading over there, liking, subscribing, supporting the channel. We're going to start draft content soon. I'm just hunting for some more college all 22. So watch out for that as well. Check out everything we're doing on the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel, all of Luke's brand new videos, and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Also, check out those awesome shirts that Luke was talking about at tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. And give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and PlayLikeAJet.com.